Hey, Crispin here. Uh, this episode of the podcast is really a little different from normal stuff. This does not come from our Sunday service. This is actually a meeting I had with um, some key leaders in the church, some of the core members that have been um, serving in various aspects of the church for many years. And uh, this is uh, was a special meeting I called to uh, make an important announcement, which is contained in the following talk. So I won't get into the announcement. I will be uh, covering much of this in the Sunday service this weekend, so you'll hear probably a slightly different version of that. But just to give you a heads up on what you're about to listen to. All right. Thanks for listening. I'm just going to open us with a word of prayer before we uh, jump into tonight's meeting. Holy Spirit, we invite you, we invite your presence to be among us. We thank you that you're already here. We ask for our hearts and minds to be open to you. Lord, we ask for a an attentiveness to the rhythms of your spirit, the rhythms of grace moving in us and around us. Just come settle upon our hearts right now, Lord. Open our ears to hear your voice. Lord, you said your sheep hear your voice. And we come to you as a bunch of dumb sheep. And we ask to hear the voice of the good shepherd, Lord. Come, Lord. Amen. Well, so we're coming up on our 10-year anniversary, 10 years. Y'all remember when we, uh, there's a few people in here who were here in the beginning, Al and Judy, Zach and Faith, Dina, she's been here with me through it all. She's still here. What was the meme I saw today? Pray for your pastor's wife because they have to put up with the pastor. I agree. It was funny when I've been thinking about this a lot, how much the world has changed in 10 years. What a weird time to plant a church, you know, in in the middle of a recession. I I was thinking back to this when we were meeting at Alan Judy's house for our small group that would become the the foundation of the church, so to speak. I didn't even have an iPhone back then. You remember a time without an iPhone? Like when we started this church, like iPhones were a new thing. Like I got one like... You know, a few months after we started, but Twitter, it was a thing. It wasn't that much of a thing. Facebook, it had been around a couple of years. But you think how much this world has changed in the last 10 years. Who could have imagined 10 years ago that we would have Donald Trump as president? Who even saw that coming? Who saw the the different situations happening in the world right now? And it's been a time of uh, incredible change. It doesn't seem like it's slowing down at all, but I'm looking forward to on Janu- the first Sunday in January, we will celebrate 10 years of this church. The reality is we were going 10 years ago. This time 10 years ago, we were meeting on Tuesday nights at Matina Bella restaurant over there, and we were doing an alpha course. And I talked so much about kind of the core concepts, you know, when we were starting out. I had a big whiteboard out. And every time we'd get together, I'd talk about 
a few things. One is Centered Set Ministry. That we want to be a, a group of people who are not bound by a religious, we're not focusing on the boundary of belief or that you have to act a certain way or look a certain way, uh, but that we want to focus on moving people towards Jesus. And so I've used that analogy plenty of times. I probably don't have to pull it out here. The other thing that I talked about was the value of hospitality that uh, I've quoted this, this one line from Henry Nowen, probably more than anything else next to Jesus, but hospitality is not to change another person, but to offer a space in which change can take place. And the idea there is that, you know, I, 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 my first decade in the church was, the church seemed very hospitable a lot of times, but often it was the kind of hospitality that somebody gives you when they're trying to pull you into a multi-level marketing kind of operation, you know, come over to our house for dinner. Yay. While you're here, I've got a fantastic business plan. I thought you just liked me. (laughs) And so I I really, in my own life, I've seen over the years so much of the transformation that has happened and, and shifts in my own thinking has come not by reading books or hearing preachers or watching YouTube videos. It's actually come from being around people that are different than me. It's, it's come from, like, not respecting the ways that society tends to divide us up. Now, I think I've got a, you know, part of that, and I'll probably talk about this a little bit here, here down the road here, but I think part of that is, as a musician uh, I've, and a pastor, I've kind of lived in two worlds. One world is the universal language of music, and music happens to be one of those things that breaks down barriers. So I found myself, you know, my whole life, I've always been around people that are different, and I've always liked that, and I've always learned a bunch. It's a lot easier to hate people when you don't sit down and have a conversation with them. And so I wanted to really pioneer a community of faith that would be hospitable, where you could come in no matter where you're at on the faith spectrum, and you could in, engage in your pursuit of God, and we could maybe help you with that. So the other thing that I talked about in our small group, so much to the point that one, one couple that was going there, uh, what was it, Scott and uh, Christine, is that their names? Grace. <laughs> I talked about Alpha a whole lot. That was going to be our first big thing. And I talked about it so much that Scott's like, forget this, I'm out of here. I don't want to hear about Alpha anymore. But this goes back to when we first came on staff at the Kenner Vineyard, uh, back in the fall of 2002, they asked us to be table leaders for an Alpha. And Alpha was so different from anything that I'd ever experienced in the evangelical world, even though it was very evangelical in a sense, it was a very different approach. You'd come in, you'd sit down, you'd share a meal together, there'd be a talk on some basic aspect of the Christian faith, and then you'd have a discussion. But as table leaders, I thought that this was so interesting because they told us for the first five, six weeks, don't offer your opinion on anything. Don't tell what you think about the Bible. You're not there to tell what you think about the Bible, but to let other people open up with their own questions and their own doubts about the scriptures or about God. And I'm like, you kidding me? I've been in ministry to you. You want me, you, you want me to keep this precious gift to myself? But they said, no, no, trust it. And we sat down at a table. We, have, we still have some friends uh, that were at, at that original table, Lyle, Lyle and Amy, who weren't Christians. Lyle had grown up Catholic even 
debated becoming a, a priest at one time. Uh, his wife had dabbled, uh, dabbled in everything from Judaism to Buddhism to all kinds of things. They were, they were looking for God. And we sat there with this wild collection of people for weeks, and we kept our mouths shut for the first few weeks. But we got to see the Holy Spirit moving in them. And several of these people had a life-transforming encounter with Christ. They were never the same. And, 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 you know, the first thing that I said when I was a part of the Alpha, one of the first things that I thought, at least, was if I ever planted a church, I would like to start it off around a dinner table and do something like Alpha. And I, it was very important to me that when we started the church that we started with an Alpha course. And we had a, we had a guy going to the church at the time, Vincent, whose dad owns Matina Bellas, and they weren't open at night. They said, well, you can use our, our building. We, the only building we had at the time, we didn't even think we were going to get a building that early. But in October of 2009, we got the children's building. So, but we were meeting over there. We got a jazz band for opening night, and we, we doubled the size of our group. With the Alpha, we went from 10 people to like 20 or 25. It was, this thing was getting close to taking off. And we were preparing for the eventual launch of our open to the public services. And in that time, and, and, I, and I, I really think that the Alpha course was, was one of those things that really began establishing the culture of our church. And so... January of 2010, we had our first weekend service. It was actually on a Saturday night because we didn't start doing Sunday services until Easter that year. And it wasn't long after that that we went to two services in that little building because it was so small. (laughs) We were packed in there like sardines. And But before I get into that, I want to retrace the journey a little bit back to the spring of 2009. Dina and I and the kids were driving back from Texas. We were all crammed in the Honda Element, and we were driving back from, I I think, I'm not sure if we'd been with my dad or some friends, but it was Ash Wednesday of 2009, and we're driving back, and I mentioned something to Dina that I'd brought up on many occasions over the years. I was like, Dina, I think it's time to plant a church. I think we've got a window to do this. If we're ever going to do this, you know, I'd like to do it before our kids are teenagers, and the previous few years before that, she usually said, nah, I'm not feeling it. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to try to hard sell you on this. I want you to hear from God. If we're going to do this, we both need to know that, that we are hearing from God on this. And that day in the, in the car, we, the kids are asleep in the back and I mentioned it and we sensed the Holy Spirit with us that day. And, and we, we both felt like, yeah, this is time. This is what we're supposed to do. And so we get back, and I, I told Phil Johnson, the pastor of the New Orleans Vineyard, um, that I'd like to uh, plant a church. Now, he was not initially very happy because at that point, I'd gone from being just the worship pastor to being over pastoral care, missions, men's ministry, celebrate recovery. It's ridiculous. Don't ever put me in middle management. That was not a good time. That's probably what pushed me out the door. Uh, <laughs> And, but once Phil got over the shock, about a week later, he's like, all right, yeah. He said, all I got to say, if you can do anything else with your life other than planning a church, do it. Because <laughs> it's going to be trying. I'm like, I got this. I got this, Phil. And so 
we put our house on the market and we began the process of church planning. We went through the process with the National Vineyard Office of applications and interviews and all that stuff. Well, meanwhile, our daughter Tevia was not very happy. She had the type of social life at in fifth grade or fourth grade at the time that, uh, you know, some of us would dream to have. She had friends all over the place. And, and look, we love the vineyard. We weren't trying to plant a church because we thought we could do something better. We thought the world needed more churches like the vineyard. And one night we ended up having a tearful meeting, a tearful family meeting. Tevia's crying, I don't want to go to another place. And we all just kind of had this impromptu meeting, and I brought out Matthew chapter 6, which I just read here a few weeks ago, and I began to share with the kids what Jesus says. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry what you're, about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to stay. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God, God's best. And you'll find in doing that that everything that you need will be taken care of. And I told my kids that day, I said, if there's one thing you can get from me and your mom, from our, <laughs> our Christianity, I hope it's this. That the most important thing you can do with your life is to seek God, to go after that. Like everything else pales in comparison. If you don't get that right, that's the meaning underneath everything. So we had this little meeting that night, and then we were going through the process. And that summer, we started meeting uh, at Alan Judy's house, Mike Manifold's house, and we began envisioning what type of church we would plant. And initially, we didn't even know we were going to do this in Covington. We thought we might do it down in New Orleans or in Baton Rouge. But we really felt drawn to downtown Covington, specifically, you know, just a very small geographic area of Covington. And I began to imagine what type of church we would make. And that leads to some of the stuff I already covered. But by November 2011, the Vineyard Church got me up on stage and Dina and the kids and they prayed over us and they ordained us and they took up an offering for the church and then they sent us out. And that was my last service there on staff and we were ready to do this. Oh, I'm sorry, 2009. Did I say 2011? 2009. Got to get the dates right. And so they sent us out. And we were getting ready to do this. Now, the one problem was that we had put our condo for sale eight months before, and we had one offer the, the first weekend that it was open. And that offer was rescinded when the couple drove around our neighborhood in the evening and saw all the parties going on. So here we were after our condo was on the market for eight months, and it wasn't moving at all, nothing. Just We had a realtor and everything, and it was just sitting there. And I'm like, I can't plant a church and not be a part of the community. Like, like this is a big deal to me. And I'm, I'm, I went to Starbucks over here on 190, and I applied, and they didn't even give me an interview. Um, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I was looking for any kind of side job I could get that, where I could maybe scrape together enough money to rent a little, you know, efficiency place so we could at least stay over here on the weekends. And we had, uh, I remember some point in this process, Zach and Faith had had a car accident in, in their Jeep, and I had uh, 
felt compelled one morning. I'm sitting out on my back porch, and I thought I felt like God said, you know, offer a little money to help with their repairs. So I was like, okay. So I give him, you know, 200 bucks, and then a few weeks later, another fella that I knew had blown up his engine on the causeway. You know, he, his, his truck, you know, was broken, and I'm sitting out on my back porch drinking coffee, and I felt like God said, why haven't you considered helping this guy? I was like, well, that guy's got a lot of money. Zach and Figs, you know, they're scraping by. And, and, <laughs> and I felt like God said, call this dude up and, and offer him what you offered Zach and Faith. I was like, well, it's a whole engine. I don't know how 200 bucks. So I called this guy up. I said, hey, uh, I, I know this isn't much, but I feel compelled to help with the repairs of your truck. I, will $200 help? He said, I appreciate that. By the way, me and my wife think that, you know, if you're going to be pastoring a church on the North Shore, you should probably live over there. And we've not been good about giving our tithe checks to the church. You know, I don't carry a checkbook around. So I got all this money that I haven't given to the church this year. And would $25,000 help you all get over there? And I'm like, let me pick my jaw up off the floor. It, I was like, this is God's sense of humor. You know, I'm, I'm calling to offer 200 bucks. And, and, and I'm like, yeah, that'll get us over. So we rented a little bitty house over at the front of our subdivision where we're in, in Abita Springs, and we were able to, you know, move over here about a week and a half before, you know, right before Christmas, right before our first service here on the weekend. And then in 2010, we started. And uh, it was actually our first service open to the public was a Christmas Eve service. I said I would never do a Christmas Eve service after being on staff at the Kinder Vineyard where we had to do three or four on Christmas Eve. I was like, I'm never doing that. And I, I caved. And we had a Christmas Eve service and we've had plenty of them ever since. But we got rolling and then Easter came and we had a great group of people show up on Easter and, and then we went to two services and things were just rolling along. Now, I, I forgot to mention this part. The Kinder Vineyard sent us out with enough money to fund my salary and the church for five months. And I just said, we're just going to go for it. And if in five months we don't have enough money, I'll get another job. And by May that year, the fifth month, I think we got a little bit below $5,000 on our operating account. It was getting scary there. And then started turning around. So things were looking good. We were, we, it, it felt like this thing might actually take off. We're paying the bills. We're actually, it was one of the few times where we were actually bringing in more money than we're spending. I love those days. And we, so things were looking great. And then in July of 2010, I had a heart attack. I've never had heart problems before. It was not something I was worried about. I drove myself to the hospital because we didn't have insurance at that time. We'd, we'd been having a hard time getting insurance. And um, I go to the hospital. They kept me there overnight. I happened to get one of the best cardiologists that you could get, just luck of the draw. Uh, and they did an angiogram the next morning. They found a 99% blockage on one of the arteries on my heart. I was 37 years old. And uh, Dina tells me that when the cardiologist came out, he's like, your husband really scared us. We had another guy going to our church at the time, um, Bob Gibson, Bob and Diane, who are in uh, Picayune, I think, or somewhere around there now. But Bob was doing nuclear stress testing for a cardiologist, and he showed another cardiologist my chart. He says, what would you do if somebody came in with a blockage in this part? He's like, well, pff, I'd crack open his chest, and we do open heart surgery. He said, well, Dr. Salam over here, he put a stent in there. He's like, he's one of the only guys in Louisiana that would even attempt that. I just happened to get that guy. So it was pretty cool. We came out of the heart attack. I'm like, 
I'm alive, I should have been dead. Most people die from the Widowmaker heart attack. It's the, the lovely name of what they call that one. And I'm like, I'm alive. That felt pretty good. And in fact, I was up preaching and, and leading worship the next Sunday. I'm not proud of that. I hope God's taking a little bit more of that out of me. But, <laughs> and then in, our, uh, in September, we got the bill. And the bill was basically for all the heart stuff was around $100,000. And we had been trying to get out of debt for years. We were finally at a good point, you know. And then I'm like, we will never pay this off for the rest of our lives. This is just, this, this, this just ain't going to happen. And so the lady said, you know, when the, when the report comes in, give me a call. You're going to probably freak out. I did. And, and I'm like, Dina. I'm freaking out. She's like, why freak out? Like, that's so far beyond anything we could even worry about. Like, freak out if it's like 5,000, but, you know, 100,000, like, what's the point? I was like, okay, I guess you're right. So I spent a, a whole day filling out all the paperwork for financial assistance from the hospital and, and writing a letter. I imagined a committee sitting around a table at St. Tammany Parish Hospital getting my request in and reading a copy. I, I imagined somebody reading my letter out and people getting teared up. You know, I was talking about how even though we didn't live in St. Tammany, both of our kids had been born in that hospital, which is a weird thing. When we were living in Hammond, we had Tevia here. When we were living in Kenner, we had Ezra here. So you know, I was like, you know, this, this hospital special to me, and my life was saved here, you know, can you help a brother out, and um, I bring all of my stuff to the financial counselor, and she reads the letter, she goes, wow, this is really good, I was like, I know, I know, <laughs> I put a lot of, this is some of my best writing, she goes, but I gotta tell you, like, this is really mainly done by a computer program, you know, and she's like, as best as I can figure out, they'll, they'll probably knock off 30 or 40,000, which, Hey, grateful for, but again, it's still uh, not something we can pay off. And then on November 1st, which is uh, the, the anniversary is coming up here in a couple of days, uh, I got a call from the hospital. They said they agreed to write off 100% of the balance. And I'm, I'm like, what? <laughs> and they said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to write off the whole thing. I'm like, they read my letter. <laughs> and uh, so... That day, I was like, how do you thank a computer program or whatever? Like, I felt so grateful and so happy to be. I felt like I cheated death, won the lottery, and how do I celebrate this? And I was reminded of all the celebrations in the Old Testament, like Passover, where they would get together once a year and remember how God had shown up. So I was like, you know, we're going to do a little family festival today called God Takes Care of the Schroeder's Day. And so when Dina... Dean and Ezra and Tevia, we all went out to Trey Inn in Mandeville that night. And I just said, you remember that meeting we had where I told you about that passage from Jesus that if you seek first the kingdom of God, you don't have to worry about this other stuff. God's going to take care of it. Look at what's happened in this last year. We didn't have a way to get over here. Somebody gave us $25,000. We had enough money to run the church for five months. We turned the corner. I had a heart attack. I should have died. I'm alive. We got $100,000 worth of debt written off. And that's just like the crazy stuff, you know? Not to mention we were experiencing God in a beautiful community and putting down roots. And it was a powerful, it was such a weird first year for us, you know? Because it's like, I, that's not anything that I had anticipated going on in the first year. And yet, I really felt like God was saying, I got you. I got you. 
Just, just, keep, just keep following me. And so so we kept on doing it, and the church uh, over the next few years was growing. Lots of good things happened. We moved into this building in the summer of 2012 and have enjoyed the time here. And, you know, I've always joked with people along the way that um, I, I was like, you know, I, I probably run this church more like a musician than a pastor <laughs> because it's a more familiar word. Uh, I joked about that, but I would say that because I learned more in my years of traveling with a band for six years about community and purpose and doing something greater than you from being in a band that I learned from going through the Vineyard Seminary VLI that I went through 2004 and through 2006. Because in a band, you're when you got six, five or six people in a band or four people and you're, you're playing music, you're, you're doing something that the sum is greater than the parts. Everybody has to play their part. You got to work together. And if you do it right... What you create is compelling, and it, it connects with people in a, in a meaningful way. And I always thought, like, the things that I learned from playing music were just really helped me for being in a church. Because in a church, that's what you got to do. Everybody's got to kind of find their place in the body. But you're all gathered together around something greater than yourself, uh, mission and purpose. And so I joked about that. But I've also continued to play music outside of the church for years since we started. Uh, and I remember even when I was on staff at the Kenner Vineyard, I was playing gigs um, when we were doing seven services on the weekend. Sometimes I'd have a gig on a Friday night and a Saturday night. I would play seven weekend services. And between Friday night and, and Sunday afternoon, I would play more than 20 hours worth of music in a weekend. And, and I remember one time Phil sat down with me and he says, why do you keep playing gigs? I mean, you're on staff at a church. I was like, this is who I am. This is part of who I am, and I, I, I can't, like, not do this. This is part of how I'm wired. You know, a few months back, me and Al LeBlanc <laughs> went to lunch, and Al has told me before, he's like, I don't consider myself a very spiritual person, but I think Al's a lot more spiritual than he gives himself credit for. And we were eating tacos down in Mandeville, and Al said... Um, I looked up the definitions in the dictionary for pastor, missionary, and evangelist. And he says, I think my problem with you is that I've always tried to squeeze you into the box of pastor, and you just don't fit in there. <laughs> and he read the definition of missionary and evangelist to me, and he's like, I think you're really like part pastor, part missionary, part evangelist. And I thought, what, what an interesting insight because really, I, I think that got at, at part of the way that I've been doing pastoring since we started this church. One of the reasons that I've continued to play music, not just because I'm a musician and I, that, that's one of the things that uh, gives me life. It's one of the ways that I, you know, <laughs> I've had very few seasons in my life where I've just been stuck working in church. And it's like, I just want to kill myself. Like, I just, uh, I mean, not really. I mean, figuratively. Uh, <laughs> Right before Katrina hit at the Kenner Vineyard, they just got this whole new building. We were excited to move into this thing. But 
at that point in the journey, I was spending so much time in church just around Christians and had Katrina not hit and forced our church out into the community, I don't think I would have lasted another year at the church. I mean, I was already starting to feel like, I don't think I can, can, can keep doing this. And then Katrina hit, and we're, we, you know, we're back on mission, and we're in the community. And over the years since I've done this church, I've continued to play in the community, crawfish boils, festivals, bars. I've played some nights where I'm playing over there next door on a Saturday night and then playing here on Sunday morning. And music has allowed me to connect with people who never darken the doors of church. There are actually lots of people on the North Shore from here to Bogalusa and Franklinton, Hammond, that call me their pastor, that never come to church. But anytime they got an issue, they call me up. And that's a missionary. You know, that, that's a missions thing. And that, that, that's even down to something that I've, I've also hammered on quite a bit from the beginning is incarnational ministry. Jesus loves us by entering into our world. And I've always felt like that was an important thing is that I need to have a place in my life. I don't need to just be up here. I need to be living out mission personally. And as far as evangelists, Anybody who reads, who, who's familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a seven, which is the enthusiast. And an enthusiast, anybody who knows me, if I find something good, anything, whether it's a restaurant, a book, a music group, <laughs> a movie, I want to share it with other people. That's the way I am. I, 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 am, I started a podcast a couple of years ago uh, called Extra Crispy, and that podcast was really so I could have some conversations that might engage people who are not... Christians or who are having trouble with their faith, you know, that, that we could talk about some things that are important uh, in a way that didn't feel so stuffy and religious. I think Al's insights were quite insightful. <laughs> um, I think I am a bit of a pastor, a missionary, and an evangelist. So, I think for me, I really began feeling a stirring in my heart, really going back to the, when we started, we were working on a, an album here called We Are One, and I, I, I wrote about 10 songs for that album, we recorded it live here, and really something began to awaken in me during that time, and I was like, and it was the songwriter thing, it was the music thing, it was something that that uh, I'd, been, I'd still been playing around in the community, but I really felt something awaken. And it really began to be more and more intense over the years. And I would say probably by about 2014, I really, I, I began to struggle with some depression a little bit. Um, and I don't think it's the sort of depression that you take medication for. I think my depression was more circumstantial, more the way that I was living life and more um, the way I was looking at things. And this continued on for a bit. And about three years ago, things really began to, to change for me in a big way. It, ironically, it started by getting a Fitbit. Um, I got this little Fitbit that says walk 10,000 steps a day. And for the last three years, I've been you know, walking four or five miles every day, sometimes more. And it was one of these things that really, you know, I, I think so much of spirituality is just learning how to pay attention. It was one of those things that helped me pay attention. You know, I started paying attention to what I was doing. I was like, I'm not going to the gym. I'm not doing that thing again. I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm just going to just try to pay attention to what I'm eating and what I'm doing. Just pay attention. I'm not going to try to make any huge changes. 
But over the next few months, you know, I lost about 25 pounds. I was the heaviest I'd ever been, and I started feeling better. And then I felt like when I started feeling better, I, I was able to start addressing some other things. And the end of that year, or maybe it was around the same time, I began talking to the board. I guess this was about three years ago about taking a sabbatical because I was like, I've just, you know, I, I don't know what's going on with me, but I'm, I'm just really having a hard time continuing to pastor. I'm just, uh, can we uh, talk about doing a, past, uh, a sabbatical? So we started talking about it. We even got a friend of mine, Doug Anderson, came in, and, and he, he knew some stuff about sabbaticals, and he kind of consulted us on that. And uh, a, a year and a half later, I took a sabbatical. Last summer, I, I was gone for two months, and it was, I'm so grateful for that. It was a a wonderful time. I went into the sabbatical, not with a whole bunch of questions or things that I was trying to figure out. All I wanted to do was just rest <laughs> and get refreshed. And I connected with my own heart. I connected with Dina, the kids, and and it was really, really such a good time. And even though I wasn't asking for questions, I got an answer. And one of the answers I got was, I can't keep doing this the way that I'm doing it. I'm just, I'm worn out. I think I realized I was a little burnout. I mean, really up to that point, I mean, We've not ever been a church with a big staff, but it, it, you know, I hadn't had an associate pastor that time. I mean, Shane had come on about six months before part-time. But, you know, for most of the history of this church, I'd kind of had my hand in a whole lot of things. Uh, we had children's directors, my wife being the first, and then Aaron Mormino, and now Christy. But I, I, I think I realized if I was going to keep doing this, I, I had to, we had to get some help. And so I come back from the sabbatical. I'm like feeling about as good as I've ever felt in my life. I'm refreshed. And we have our first board meeting. And I said, board guys, um, I can't keep doing this the way I'm doing. I think we need to, to hire somebody full-time as an associate pastor. And they're like, uh, and, and I think the obvious person uh, was Shane uh, because he was already working part-time. I was like, I think Shane, we need to bring him on full-time. And they're like, ah, that's great. There's a little problem, though. Since you've been gone, <laughs> the giving in the church has gone down about 30%. Uh, actually, things were so desperate last summer when I came back that I was wondering if we could keep the church open through the end of the year. But I was like, I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't think I can keep doing this. And um, two weeks after that, the first part of October last year, we got a donation of $25,000 again. I don't know what it is with that number. Somebody from outside of town who had no idea what our church was even going through. And that money came in. So we're like, well, I think we can maybe at least hire Shane for a year. <laughs> and so we hired Shane. And Shane came on last fall and began to uh, really take a lot of stuff off my plate. And I, I, I don't think I could have made it without Shane stepping up. And Shane has done just a fantastic job um, running things in the church and meetings and, you know, just doing a lot of stuff. And when I look at this last year, I really feel like this last year has been the year that I envisioned for the church when I started out. You know, when I started out, I wanted to, I wanted to plant a church that would be right in the middle of downtown Covington, that would be connected with the needs of the community, that would be on mission, reaching out to people, you know, not just getting together to have a service, but doing stuff in the community. When I look this last year at the things we've done from uh, the recent fundraiser for Enduring, Enduring Hope, uh, supply, school supply drive for Pineview Middle, Bag Hunger, 
Mexico missions trip. Uh, I know I'm missing a lot of things. If we wrote it all down, we could just do a whole meeting on that. But, man, I mean, for a little church that doesn't have a lot going for it, we're doing the stuff. And then when I look at even how people, new people have connected into the church this last year, I think we've done our best job on that. And I think Shane's been a really big part of, of helping that happen. Um, and so, really, I look at this last year, and I think it's, it's been really one of the best years in the history of North Shore Vineyard. I, I, this, is, this is the church that I wanted to happen when we, when we started it out. And, but at the same time, back in the, in the spring, even with things going so good, I still had this nagging feeling that I had kind of suffered with over the years. Like, I just, I don't know if I'm supposed to keep doing this. And by June this year, I was like, I really feel my time as senior pastor is coming to an end, of North Shore Vineyard at least. Well, I mean, probably in general for the rest of my life. But, um, and that was a hard thing to kind of come to terms with, but I met with the board back in August, and uh, for the first time, we've had probably more more meetings in the last uh three months than we would have in a typical two years. Um, but I told the board, I was like, I, I think by the end of this year, I'm, I'm going to be stepping down as the senior pastor at North Shore Vineyard. I just, and it has nothing to do with my love for the church. I love this church. I'm going to continue to be a part of this church. I really feel like what has been stirring in me on the creative side for years now, I really feel the last couple of years, I've done a lot of reflection on my life, and I've, I've, I've come to conclude that even though I am, in a sense, called as a pastor, evangelist, missionary, underneath all the calling, the core thing that I feel like has been in my life ever since I was a child is creativity. And I feel like anything I've done in this community to even get this church started has come from that place. And... I don't think I'm cut out to lead an organization. I really don't care about budgets. I don't care about a lot of the organizational things. Y'all know that. Um, I'm not, and I can't make myself. I wish I could. I wish I could will myself to care about, you know, some of those things, and, and I don't. And I, I just don't feel, I feel like this church, I, I know I've got giftings. I'm not trying to be all, you know, false humility here. I know I'm, I'm good at the couple of things I'm good at. But I'm not, I don't think I'm a good fit for leading a church. Uh, at least, you know, the kind of things that you got to do to lead a church these days. Um, and I don't think it's good for my health. I don't think it's good for my relationships. I don't think it's good for my mental health. And I think a lot of the depression that I've felt over the years has really just come down to, I don't think... I'm able to be who I am. In fact, I was meeting with my therapist a few weeks ago, <laughs> talking through this stuff, and I told my therapist, I said, I'm just ready to be who I am. I'm ready to be who I am. I feel like there's parts of my life, I've never been disingenuous. I mean, really, I mean, part of this is just awakening to these things and actually paying attention, but I, I, I'm just, I feel like there's parts of my life that have been kind of boxed up on the side, um, I'm just ready to enter into those things. I, I remember the movie Chariots of Fire. The, what was the runner's name? Is it Eric Little? Uh, uh, anyway, he said this quote in the movie. He says, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. 
And that's it for me. You know, when I'm playing music, when I'm writing songs, when I'm creating, and even, you know, creating messages for the weekend, like, I feel the pleasure of God. I feel like that's the creative stuff. That's what I'm, I'm created to do. And so... So I met with the board, and initially we were thinking, well, <laughs> if you're stepping down, is this church still going to be here? Are we, are we just going to shut it down? And I really didn't like the idea of shutting it down. I know, you know, in some of our board meetings, you know, um, Al has set this thing up, you know, that, that he found some problems in our bylaws that, like, we could have a rebellion and people could vote me out of office or something, so... He says, I'm setting this up like it's your church. And he's like, you know, this is your church. I, and I know what Al's getting at legally. I've never thought of this as my church. I've never thought that I own this church. I've never tried to treat it that way. But we met a couple of times, and, and, and I even talked to Phil Johnson from the New Orleans Vineyard. And, and Phil was like, man, your church is going so good. I would hate to see you shut that down. Is there any way that we as a church can help resource you and help keep this thing going? I was like, well... Yeah, let me get back to you. So we've met a few times, and we, we started thinking about, okay, if, if I'm stepping down, how can we move forward? Do we, uh, you know, put a job listing out there that we're looking for a new pastor? Do we have, you know, speakers come in and figure out, you know, which one represents? None of that sounded very good. And I think it was pretty obvious to the board and to me that the, the best candidate for continuing the, the values, the culture, the, this unique thing that we have at North Shore. And we do have a new, unique thing here. I mean, I don't know any, I've never been to a church like this, and I've been to a lot of churches around the United States. It is a special thing. This kind of thing doesn't happen often. But it was pretty obvious, I think, to all of us after we prayed about it, talked about it, and um, that, that Shane Blau would be the best candidate for stepping up to take my place. And so for the past several weeks we've been working on a plan of how we can make that happen and so January the first service of January 2020 will be my last service as senior pastor uh, we will have a celebration celebrating everything God's done here over the last 10 years and that'll be my last service as the senior pastor and from that point on I will still be attending this church but I'm not going to be leading this church I'm going to be serving this church and um, and Shane will be stepping into the role of that and to, to help resource Shane, because I will say the hardest thing, I think the hardest thing about being a senior pastor myself, going from being an associate pastor was that Sundays just keep coming at you. You know, <laughs> it was a depressing thing. Just a couple of months into this church, I'd be the last one out of the building over there in the children's building and it was a depressing thing sometimes when I would preach a message that I just thought was awesome, you know. Of course, I've gone back and listened to some of those messages from the first few months, and I don't know if they were that awesome. But they felt good at the time. And I'd be going, wow, I preached it down. And I would turn off the lights, I'd just sit down to catch my breath, and then I would just have this gnawing sense of, so you've got to do at least that good next week. I'm like, oh. And I, I think... Part of the difficulty that I've had, even in being a pastor, particularly over the past five years, as I've been going through my own stuff, life stuff, you know, just getting up Sunday after Sunday and, and, and keeping going. Sometimes, like, I don't want to be here on a Sunday morning. I'd like a break. I'd like to just go somewhere else. 
Uh, no offense to y'all. But going from speaking once every six weeks to two months at the Kinder Vineyard, which is what I did the last couple of years there, to speaking every weekend, it, it, that's that's a lot of stuff coming at you. So, And Shane is definitely a good speaker, but we're trying to resource Shane in the process. So come January, Shane is going to become a member of the Vineyard New Orleans teaching team. They've got a great teaching team. I I learned most of my stuff about speaking, being on that teaching team. And they're going to resource him. We're trying to set up something sustainable for Shane for the first year where he, he will only have to speak twice a month, and then we will fill in those other gaps with some uh, some of the speakers either from their teaching team or some other people that are very familiar here and know what we're doing. Um, and as for me, I'm going to continue to stay here uh, at least for the first five or six months. I mean, I, I, I can't see very far because, you know, some of you may be asking, so what are you going to do? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Um, I haven't really gone looking for anything, uh, partly because we haven't announced this to the public or anything yet. So um, I'll probably start looking for a job this next week. Um, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do, but I just know what I'm not going to do. And so we're going into this next year, and I will continue to serve on the board uh, of our church, which our board at the moment, we just added David McDonald to the board. Uh, Shane just came on the board a few weeks ago. We still have Al and Brian and myself. Uh, Brian Johnson is on the board as well, but he will be stepping off at the end of this year. Um, and and each of us, uh, me, Al, and Brian, the existing members from this regime, is it a regime? Uh, uh, we, were, we, we are all going to stagger our rolling off of the board, but just to try to work with the transition the best that we can to set up this church for success in the future. And, and look, I hope in some of these stories that I've shared, even about the first year, uh, I, I know that transitions, even when you've got every all the pieces in the right place, you, transitions are hard. And I know this next year is not going to be an easy one. But starting this church wasn't an easy one. And yet, that was the time we encountered God in such profound ways. And so I'm looking forward to what God is going to continue to do at North Shore Vineyard, and I'm going to continue to be a part of it. I'm still going to lead worship here twice a month, and, and uh, you know, I don't know where we're going to end up. Maybe we stay in coming, uh, you know, in this area for the rest of our lives. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. All right. I know I hit you with a whole lot of stuff tonight, and uh, it's probably a bit shocking, um, any questions? <laughs> Bueller? Okay. Well, you don't have to have any questions right now. I realize a lot of people need time to process, think through things. Uh, we're going to have another meeting on November 13th, uh, Wednesday night here. And we want, we will... On that night, we are going to actually unveil, you know, get into some specifics about moving forward. But, but really, I want to address any questions that people have in the process. So if you got a question, you can email me, Crispin, at NorthShoreVineyard.org, or you can email Shane, Shane, at NorthShoreVineyard.org. And, um, and look, 
if anybody wants to grab coffee or lunch or whatever, you know, I, I'm I'm keeping keeping time open in the next couple of weeks to, you know, meet with anybody that wants to, or if you got any questions for me or like, what are you thinking? Um, you know, I'll be glad to, uh, do that. And, but you know, if you, if you got any questions, you can bring those, you can shoot them to me beforehand or just bring them to the meeting. It'd be better if you shot them to me beforehand. I don't know how well I will answer them on the spot, but, uh, yes. And I will be uh, announcing this to the whole church, uh, on uh, this Sunday, so 